So the story of love. If you have God's word, let's go to Luke chapter one. We're going to Luke chapter one. We're going to pick up there in verse thirty nine. And we're still early in the Christmas story. And so I want to invite you just to kind of just allow the Holy Spirit just to kind of carry you along, you know, with all the ups and the downs and, and the low points and the high points and all the excitement of when Jesus Christ was born. And think about the Christmas story with us this morning. So we go to Luke chapter one, beginning at verse thirty nine. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today. I thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've given us and the promises that have been fulfilled and the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. And so, Father, we just worship you and we thank you for the plan that you've given us. We thank you for the hope that we have in salvation and the hope that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we're focusing on during this Advent season. And so, Father, I just pray that your anointing would be upon the word as we read it. You promised it would not come back void. And so, Father, thank you for giving us meaning today in this holy word. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. And God's people said, Amen. Now, I wonder... I mean, I'm just thinking as I look at the passage here this morning, if these ladies really understood, I mean, how many promises would be fulfilled at Jesus' birth? I mean, in his life and ministry and as ministry would unfold and, and as things would begin to happen and how the fulfillment of prophecy and the promises of God would become a reality, you know, of course, through just the birth of Jesus Christ. And you remember last week, we, we saw how loving God creates us in his image and, and brings together in the birth of a son, Jesus Christ, the faith and the theology that we have today that we embrace and understand. But what I want to do this morning to begin my theme, and of course, it is the story of love, but the theme for this morning is the theology of Jesus' birth. Say that with me. The theology of Jesus' birth. And to begin to talk about the theology of Jesus' birth, I want to begin to share a story with you. In fact, that was just released, you know, in the news just a few weeks ago. And the story is a story of uh, Tariq Kamisa. And Tariq Kamisa was was a a, a young college boy that was delivering people uh, pizza, excuse me, delivering pizza in San Diego, California, right here in the city. And several years ago, this had happened just a few years ago, actually. And and he was delivering pizza, and then he was accosted and then encountered a young gang member that was 14 years of age by the name of Tony, and he shot him dead. Of course, um, they, the, pretty soon the, the, the police found out, determined that it was a, an older gang member that was 18 years of age that had asked him to do this, to be able to you know, get into the gang and all that. Well, as the stories unfold on CBS News, I believe it was CBS, CBS News, the father, you know, expressed, of course, the horror of it and expressed his emotion. And he he shared how the very, you know, at the very least, he, he, he would get up in the morning. He had a hard time just breathing and and just, you know, you can imagine the loss that a parent would feel and experience the loss of his you know, own son, his only son. 
Well, time passed as he began to mourn through the loss of his son, this father, whose name was Azim, by the way. As time passed, he began to realize and think on the fact that there was more than one victim. There, were, there was a victim at both ends of the gun. And so what Azim did, the father of the young man that had been shot and killed while delivering pizza, he found the guardian of the boy, Tony, that had done the killing, and he began, he found the guardian who was a grandfather and began to develop a relationship with him, and he became friends with the grandfather. The result of that is the grandfather and the father of the boy who was killed formed a foundation called the Treek Kamisa Foundation. And the foundation began to, you know, evolve and they began to develop a set of values and a values of, of, of loving each other and forgiving each other and the value of mercy and the value of kindness. In fact, today, there are 13 full-time employees of the foundation and there have been over 8 million students nationwide that have learned the values of the Kareem Kamisa Foundation. Now, here's why it surfaced recently back in the news. Because the father... Uh, of the son who was murdered and his grandfather are working together to get the release of the killer of his son. So this is a story of a father who forgives his son's killer. And not only is he working on the release and the parole of his son, of the killer of his son, but he's also promising that he'll have a full-time job in the foundation when he gets out. Now, when we think about this, and I was listening to the report on the radio as this news story is being unfolded. And I, and I was trying to process this, 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 what the father was experiencing, in all of his emotion. And when you think of this, here's the father who has every right to maybe hold on to his pain and anger. But instead, what he does is he provides sort of a covering for his killer. Maybe this helps us understand and imagine how the birth of Jesus was kind of setting the stage so many years ago. Because, you know, in this scenario, Jesus would become a covering, so to speak, for humanity. Jesus Christ would be the covering for for man who was lost in the sin. And it was the protection of the covering Christ that would become between us and the Father, the one who created us. And Jesus would be that kind of covering. I, I couldn't help but imagine and remember the story of a, a mother, a true story of a mother that was a refugee, was trying to escape through some of the mountains of the Himalayas. And, and it was a treacherous trail that, that they that she was following, trying to find her freedom. And it was her and her little baby. And, and like so many stories, there in the midst of the mountains, a storm came in, a blizzard began to blow, and, and the mother took her clothing and all the stuff that was in her bag, and they, she used the stuff and the clothing to cover herself up, and she held the baby close to her chest like this, and she got down on the ground like this, and, and the snow came in, and the storm covered her, and then, and, and then about a day later, or two days later, somebody comes along and, and finds her. I'm not sure, you know, what was the signs or how they found her, discovered her, but they found her, and the mother... The mother had died. Tragically, the mother had died, but still the baby that was held close to her chest as she was huddled near the ground and the snow had covered over and her covering had saved the baby's life and the baby lived. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the kind of covering that Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the protector. He is the covering. He is the star in the sky. He is the hope of salvation. Jesus Christ is all of that. Amen. And we see that in the story of, of, of Christmas. He is our covering. 
I, I, I look at the, 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 the story of the birth of Christ and we, we see the theology of his birth. In fact, the theology of the birth of Christ is, is the atonement. I mean, that's the word that comes to mind here. It's the atonement of Christ, which is the birth and the death and the resurrection of Christ. In fact, the atonement, um, that word has been seen many times in the Old Testament, but it only appears one time in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 5, looking at verse 11. And without a doubt, it's one of the leading ideas in the history of the church and the theology of the church. In fact, the Greek word for atonement is kataalege, kataalege, which means a covering. Formally, it's a covering. It's a reconciliation of relationship. So the theology and the idea of, of atonement is a satisfaction for estranged parties. I mean, imagine that for a moment. You have parties that are estranged, and it's the satisfaction of, of estranged parties. It's an atonement together as they are brought together because of God's love. Someone once said that God requires satisfaction because he is holiness. Listen to this. God requires satisfaction because he is holiness, but he makes satisfaction because he is love. He makes satisfaction because he is love. You see, that is the atonement of the birth of Christ or the theology of the birth of Christ. But that theology in action is even more than that. It's the atonement and the birth and the sacrifice of Jesus' life on our behalf that makes it a reality. Now, we're just doing some heavy lifting, but follow me and look at this definition that we have for you here on the screen by H. Orton Wiley, who was a theologian. And he quotes this one definition in regards to atonement. He defines it like this. Listen to this. He says, the satisfaction offered to divine justice by the death of Christ for the sins of mankind, by virtue of which all true penitents who believe in Christ are personally reconciled to God, are freed from the penalty of their sins and entitled to eternal life. Now, I understand this is this is theologically complex. And I understand also, as we look at the the passage, only the Son of Man, who was the God-Man, could redeem mankind. And, and for humanity, offer you see, to offer atonement, it's a atonement in the reconciliation of relationship. It's a, an amende, or it is an honorable apology that one party makes to another, so that there is this, this atonement that is together. You see, that's the atonement in action. Again, some heavy lifting here. But what is it in relationship? I mean, if that is atonement in action and is God's action and his desire for reconciliation for mankind to have relationship with us, what is in relationship? Well, this like mindedness is not a God who is lost. It's not a God that is looking and trying to, you know, you know, understand how to have relationship with us. And maybe this is why I have a little bit of a trouble with with process theology due to the permanence of the sovereignty in God and the omniscience of God. You see, the wrong idea that this is, is that this idea that God is wanting to figure us out or, or God is conforming to, to our will and God is being shaped because of culture. You see, that's not the idea here. That, that's not what we're seeing. What we are seeing, it is a God who loves us and wanting to divinely connect with his creation, lovingly coming to us in full manifestation of his will in this God-man. Now listen to this. We trample the blood of the Son of God if we think that we are forgiven because we are sorry for our sins. The only explanation for the forgiveness of God and for the unfathomable depth of his forgetting is the death of Jesus Christ. 
That is it. Our repentance is merely the outcome of our personal realization of the atonement which he has worked out for us. So this is God that is working on our behalf before we even respond. This is the God that is a reconciling God and a God that is providing what we would call a prevenient grace so that we might have everlasting life. Now, again, this has been some heavy lifting, as I shared with you right here in the beginning. But when we process it and say, okay, what does this mean? I mean, to us, if this is, I mean, if this is the story of love, what does it mean to us in regards to the relationship that we have with the Father? It means that here we have a father in heaven that so desires to be reconciled with us that he's willing to humble himself and he's willing he's willing to approach us in such a humble way as to become a baby in a manger. I don't think there's a more, you know, there's a more, um, you know, powerful way to approach somebody in humility than when we, we bow to another. In fact, um, there are cultures we've encountered. We've all known cultures where, you know, the culture is. You know, we bow. And in fact, there are some cultures that they not only bow, if they're really being submissive, they they not only bow, but they literally get on the ground and they become prostrate on the ground because they are trying to project this idea of humility and submission to another. And it's out of great respect that they respond that way, that we submit to another. I'll never forget and and I'll never, you know, Never be the same because of a man by the name of Dr. Ponder Gillen. I don't know. Anybody know Dr. Ponder Gillen in this in this service? Dr. Ponder Gillen was president of Southern Nazarene University. And uh, after he retired as president of the university, he became pastor of Dallas First Church of the Nazarene. He was one of those guys. I mean, just imagine this. He was one of those guys that you just wanted to kind of sit at his feet because, you know, he just dripped with wisdom. You ever been around anybody like that? I mean, you just love sitting with them and being with them because as you listen to them, I mean, their, their words are so rich. You never get tired of them and you just want to absorb it. You just want to take it in. Where Dr. Ponder Gillen, he was that kind of man. He was just rich with wisdom and you want to sit at his feet. And, and, and I was in my first church. I was about 26 years of age. I was about six months into my first pastorate. And I met Dr. Ponder Gillen at a district meeting. I said, can I meet with you, doctor? And he said, yeah, I'd, I'd love, love to do that. And so we made an appointment. I went over to Dallas First Church of the Nazarene, and I spent some time with him. And I just kind of spent time, so to speak, oh, not physically bowing before him, but mentally I just spent time at his feet. And he shared with me, and he mentored me, and we talked about finances and counseling and preaching and all kinds of stuff. And he, he mentored me. He impacted my life. Now, this did not mean that I was weak or signify a shortcoming in my character, but my humble mental posture related my respect for him and really the fact that I loved this guy. And I was humbled before him. And, and folks, I guess what I'm saying is the most powerful and meaningful way that God could divinely express the depth and the width of his love for us is in, in grasping relationship, the one who created us with his creation is that he, he would come to us. And that's what Jesus Christ did. I mean, imagine here is God that is now in the flesh. And in the most humble way, here is God that is now in a manger. And God is prostrate in a manger. Can you imagine that, teens? That God is prostrate in a manger and he has humbled himself and he's become flesh and to this point because he is saying, I'm wanting to reconcile with my creation and I want to have relationship with my creation. That is the story of love. 
And then that baby grew up and he became a man as Jesus, continuing to reach out, grasping for relationship with those that he created. And Jesus reaches out like this. And he spread his hands upon the cross and he died upon the cross that we might have relationship with God who is our creator. And he, he shows us this by giving his life and he gives everything. I love this little story that kind of emphasizes the love of our father in heaven as creator. It's a story of a little boy that had a problem coming home on time. He was about third grade or something like that. And this little boy had a problem coming home on time. And he would come home 45 minutes late or an hour late. And, and, and mom and dad were frustrated. And he tried to explain to the little guy, you cannot come home late. We don't know what's happened to you. We don't know if you've been kidnapped or, I mean, in this world today, I mean, so mom and dad was really serious about it. Finally, he wouldn't come home time. Finally, they, they had a plan, a strategy. They said, you're going to be punished. If you're home late tonight, you're going to get punished. Well, sure, you know, sure shooting what happens is he comes home late that night. You know that happened. He comes home late that night. He's walking up the walk and it hits him. Oh, I'm in trouble. Well, mom's there standing, waiting at the door. She opens the door and he sees her, slows, sees her, and she doesn't do anything. She doesn't say a word. Well, later on that night... um, when he goes to the dinner table, he'd been playing and sweating. He was tired and he was hungry. So the little boy gets to the dinner table and mom sits in front of him a plate with just simply one slice of bread on it and a glass of water. And that was it. And just in a moment later, she comes in and she sets a plate that was just full of delicious food in front of his father. And there was steak and there was, you know, green beans and scalloped potatoes and all this delicious food, about five different items and a tall glass of milk in front of his father. And and now the boy's looking at that delicious, you know, plate of food and looking at his one, his plate of one slice of bread. And he hangs his head in shame. The father waited long enough for the impact to sink in. And then what the father does is he reaches over and takes the plate with one slice of bread and the glass of water and he brings it and he puts it in front of himself. And the father takes his plate full of delicious food and his glass of milk and he sets it in front of his son. Later on, the young man grows up and he tells a story. He says, I've always known what God is like because of what my dad did for me at the dinner table that night. You see, that's the kind of father that we have. That's the kind of father in heaven that we have. He is a father that loves us. He's a father that cares for us. He's a father that is willing to give everything that he is and everything that he has that we might have relationship with him. He is a father that loves us. He's a father that's determined that that, that we would be reconciled to one another and, and that we would have right relationship with him. I, I, I don't know about you, but my my home at Thanksgiving time, we just finished Thanksgiving, my home at Thanksgiving when my folks were alive and my sibling, my brother was there and his wife and, and of course, my kids, I, it, it was a madhouse. I mean, my wife, she affirms this, that, that we were kind of like an old Italian family and they were very verbal and we were so verbal that if If you were a stranger and you came to our house on Thanksgiving, you'd think that we all hated each other. But that's not true. We don't. The fact is we're just passion. And as time passes, uh, you would learn that we are passionately in love with each other. And the relationship that we have with each other is very precious and very sacred. In fact, we're so verbal with each other and, and passionate that when something is not right and the relationship is not right, not very much time passes before we make it right. 
before we reconcile the relationship, before we apologize to our brother or we apologize to mom if we have to. And we probably shouldn't have to do that. But anyhow, and we make the relationship right. Our Father in Heaven is a reconciling God. He wants us to have right relationship with Him. And that's why this is a story of love. Maybe your response this morning is, as we're thinking about the love of our Father in Heaven, that your response is, is confession today. I mean, I, I'm not sure, I don't know what you're carrying with you, but maybe your right response is that you have something to confess because the relationship's not been reconciled. And you want to confess to your Father in Heaven. And, and maybe it's just something that's gotten between you and Him. Or, or maybe it's sin that you need to confess. And, and you're trying to hear His voice right now and you want to confess to Him. Maybe the right response this morning is, is simply an offering. I'm not talking about a financial offering. Maybe this morning your, your right response is that you're saying, Father, I, I, I want to give this to you. I want to offer this part of myself to you because you've been holding something back that you shouldn't be holding back, and you've not given it to God yet. I don't know. What is that, guys? What is that, teenagers, that maybe there's something that you've not yet given to the Lord yet, and you know it's affecting your relationship with Him? Maybe it's a a moment that you confess and say, Lord, I need to give this to you. In fact, let's just bow our heads for a moment. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for answered prayer. I thank you, God, that you are a God that reconciles with, with your creation, that you desire healthy and right relationship, and that, Father, that even this morning, as, as we're thinking about the Christmas story, that you are calling out to us. This Sunday, it, it is about love, about your love that you have for us and our relationship with you. And, Father, I pray with our heads bowed and eyes closed that you would just speak to that one Right now, that is maybe in the process of saying, Lord, I need to confess to you. Lord, you know what it is that I'm holding, you know, back. And so, Father, I'm just going to bring this to you and I'm going to confess this to you. I'm going to give this, what does, this thing that does not belong in my life. And I'm going to say, Father, help me with this. Father in heaven, our response today might be offering a part of ourselves that we've been holding back. I pray that, Lord, that you'd speak to that individual. Be with that young person, that young man or that woman right now. They're saying, God, I don't want to hold back anymore. I I don't want to keep, you know, hanging on to what, Lord, I need to really give to you. And so, Father, I just pray that you'd speak to that one heart right now as they're just saying, Lord, I'm going to just confess this to you. I need your help, God. I need your touch. I need, Lord, this relationship, this reconciling relationship to be right. I thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer. Thank you, Father, for hearing my voice this morning. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and you're just worshiping. Pray right now. Ask the Lord to do what you want him to do in your heart this morning. Before this Sunday's out, before we get to the next week. Just allow the Lord to do this work in you right now this morning and reconcile with him and say, Lord, I'm offering this to you. I'm going to confess this to you. You're praying that way. It's between you and the Father right now. Say, Lord, I'm just offering this to you. I want to invite you, if you're praying that way, just between you and the Lord, would you just take a moment and make eye contact? I'm going to keep this private. I'm going to be praying quietly to myself, in my heart, with you, for you. So just take a moment and make eye contact with me. I'm going to be lifting you up. Lord, help me, Father, in reconciling. 
Lord, help me, Lord, make this right. May I make this offering unto you. God bless you. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for hearing this prayer, the prayer of that young person right now. Lord, I'm going to make this relationship right with you. Thank you, Father. Somebody else, just eye contact. God bless you. Anybody else need to make eye contact? We want to just lift you up in prayer this morning. Thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer. Thank you, Lord, for Lord just giving us giving us your presence this morning. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this chance to to confess, Lord, to you right now. Lord, we just confess to you right now. We lift you up, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we have to worship you. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. And God's people said, Amen. You know, we think about the theology of Christ's birth. I mean, without that, it's, it's just another birth. The theology, born of a virgin. God that has become flesh. The desires to be reconciled with his creation. It's in the theology of his birth that it all becomes personal and it becomes real. I want to invite us to worship as if we believe that this morning.